This is HR in Review, a podcast dedicated to HR thought leadership, actionable advice, and all the latest developments in human resource management. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to our newest episode of our podcast, HR in Review. I'm Monica Sharma, the editor of HR Review, and if you haven't tuned in before, in this short segment, we'll be looking back at some recent standout stories, and we'll be discussing the most relevant topics linked to HR. Each week will be based around a different theme, and this week's is health and safety in the workplace. Here today, I'm joined by my guest, Nick Wilson. Nick is Director of Health and Safety Services at WorkNest, a firm that helps UK employers create safe places to work through employment law, HR and health and safety support. With over 25 years of experience within the field, some of Nick's specialities include behavioural safety programmes, change management, risk assessment development and safety training. Nick, thank you so much for joining us um, today. It's great to have you on the show. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Monica. Hello, everybody. And uh, thanks for welcoming me to this podcast. No worries. It's a pleasure. Um, So I just wanted to start off quite differently this time, um, relaying a message that the Institute of Occupational Safety and Health issued at the start of the month. And they asked businesses not to let their guard down to ensure that COVID-19 doesn't spread rapidly throughout workplaces. Um, So Nick, now that we've just begun October, many firms over the last month have started encouraging staff to return to the workplace at least a few times a week. What are some of the key things that you think employers should be doing in terms of health and safety, especially in light of COVID? Well, of course, that's a very topical question at the moment. But Mm -hmm. I think let's just reflect for a moment on all the good stuff that we've been doing over the last 18 months to control exposure to the COVID virus, both inside and outside of work. We've had social distancing, hygiene measures, robust cleaning programs. We've been wearing masks, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. And of course, one of the primary risk control measures has been to require people to work from home. Mm-hmm. Now, we've got to get back to some level of normality, of course. But does this mean that we just simply abandon all these health and safety measures just because we can now? And of course, the answer is no, not least because this virus is still out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're still having 30,000 cases being reported every day. Mm. And it really should come as no surprise to us, therefore, that many uh, employees feel a bit anxious about returning to the office. And many, as you've just said, Monica, citing this as due to health and safety concerns in the the Irish report. Mm -hmm. They'll have concerns expressed about how safe the workplace is, what's the potential for increased exposure to the virus, how are you as my employer going to manage this? What's your policy on masks? What about your policy on vaccinations? And are you telling me I'm now going to resume my journey to work on public transport? Mm -hmm. So what should the employer who is now returning staff to the workplace do? Well, for a start, you should review your COVID workplace risk assessment in light of uh, the relaxation of most of the COVID control measures uh, and decide whether you are going to maintain them or abandon them or perhaps do something in the middle. Mm -hmm. But before you do, I I just recommend that everyone just takes a look at a certain duty which is captured in health and safety law, a duty where the employer must protect the health and safety of its employees. And we find this in a bit of legislation that we've had for 30 years. It's called the Workplace Health Safety and Welfare Regulations, 1992. And it sets out more 
detail and specific duties that we've always had, even before COVID came along. For example, the regulations say you've got to make sure that every enclosed workplace is well ventilated, whether this is natural or mechanical ventilation, Mm -hmm. by a sufficient quantity of fresh or purified air. And we've certainly been learning about how important that is over the past 20 months. Then you've got to make sure every workplace, including furniture fittings, um, therein is, is kept sufficiently clean. And that's been an important method of controlling COVID because we know that it can transfer from people to surfaces and then be passed on to others who touch them. And then we've got the duty, as we know, to provide suitable and sufficient washing facilities and clean uh, clean, hot and cold or warm water, including soap. Um, mm-hmm. And all of these things have always been required. It's just this COVID pandemic has placed the greater emphasis on them because mm-hmm. they are good at controlling COVID. So as Ayo says, now now's not the time to let your guard down. You need to maintain the trust and the confidence of your employees. Show them you're a responsible employer and that you will continue to ensure their health and safety when they return to work. Collaborate, communicate with them, get them involved with your risk assessment and the measures that you're going to introduce and other procedures and arrangements pertaining to COVID. That's what's gonna get them on board and make them Mm -hmm. feel more comfortable. I think that's that's really great. Um, As you said, it's sort of kind of building upon legislation and and safety um, aspects that have always been in the workplace and just um, trenching them, I suppose, um, which also then prevents the risk of COVID-19 spreading. Um, I just wanted to kind of follow up on something that you said, Nick, which was that obviously a lot of employees feel anxiety. Um, In a separate study, research from CV Library revealed that prior to the return of the workplace, over half of UK employees felt anxious about the return. Of these, a third cited that this was due to health and safety concerns, feeling that there's a sizable risk of catching COVID-19. Obviously, we've just spoken a little bit about what employers can do um, generally. Are there any ways that people who are particularly vulnerable to COVID-19 can be safeguarded in the workplace? And are employers expected to provide reasonable adjustments in this case? Follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. As an employee, you you certainly have a legal duty to protect all your workers from harm. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure that you consider the risks to workers who are particularly vulnerable to coronavirus and put put things in place to reduce that risk. Uh, For example, some employers may ask workers to undertake more regular testing for COVID to identify people uh, who may have it and therefore should be uh, removed from the workplace or asymptomatic. And then in July this year, uh, we discovered social distancing guidance no longer applies uh, Mm -hmm. in most places, workplaces, certainly in England. And the UK government no longer instructs people to work from home. Mm -hmm. But you should check, uh, incidentally, the latest uh, gov.uk guidance, as there are different approaches and, of course, timescales for moving the restrictions being applied in in Scotland and Wales. Mm -hmm. But we do know that the HSE themselves, the regulator, report on their website that there is a significant growing evidence on the groups of people who may be more at risk of being infected Mm -hmm. and or uh, an adverse outcome if they are infected. 
And currently, though, there is no expectations of additional controls specifically for these groups. Mm-hmm. But to answer the question, employers should, in my mind, make sure that existing controls identified in their risk assessment, so talking about ventilation and hygiene, cleaning, um, they are strictly applied. And and you can support these individuals and these groups of individuals within your workforce by ensuring that you emphasize the importance of individual and wider workforce engagement and buy-in and cooperation to ensure these controls are applied stringently. Uh, Have individual discussions uh, between the managers and and these individuals about their particular concerns. Mm -hmm. Discuss with them the risk management measures that you've put in place to minimize the transmission Uh, and explain the controls that you will put or have already put in place to protect them. Mm -hmm. And and ensure that all workers, and particularly those in higher risk groups, are able to access all the protections that that are necessary. But I would say again, and this is most important, talk to any workers previously defined as clinically extremely vulnerable and explain the measures that you've been taken. It's all about winning over their trust and confidence. They will be apprehensive. And mm-hmm. of course, I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about hybrid working. Maybe that remains um, a, an opportunity or remote working remains an opportunity for these people. Mm. I think that sort of element has come up a lot over um sort of recent discussions linked to HR the need to communicate and it's interesting to see that that's still present within health and safety and you know sort of communicating guidelines and the company's policies to those who are you know clinically extremely vulnerable to um to COVID it's absolutely imperative Mm -hmm. talk talk to these people talk to all of your employees Mm -hmm. um Nick you just mentioned something about hybrid working um this is sort of what I wanted to move on to next. How will the hybrid working arrangements that some companies are choosing to adopt affect health and safety for home workers? Well, the workplace changes that were brought about by COVID uh, have been, um, they've been described as a once in a generation opportunity to, to have a think about our uh, working practices and perhaps promote a more flexible and better approach to work. And for many of us, work in life as we, we knew it may never return to what it was before COVID arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, working from home has certainly worked very well for some of us. Uh, it's worked very well for me. And as a consequence, we are certainly going to see more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with restrictions having now been lifted, or certainly in England at least, employers will now need to start to formalise those arrangements. Mm-hmm. You, you see, whilst we were working from home during the peak of the COVID pandemic, uh, and, and let's face it, uh, most of that work probably involved using laptops and other display screen equipment. Mm-hmm. But whilst we were working temporarily from home, the HSC themselves have said there's there's no increased risk from display screen equipment, for example, for those who work at home temporarily. So in that situation, they've said that employers do not need to uh, ask them to carry out home workstation assessments. Mm -hmm. But of course, employers would still need to provide those temporary home workers uh, with advice on completing their own uh, basic assessments and appraisal at home. Mm -hmm. But for me, the key word here is temporary. And now that we have the opportunity to return to work because restrictions have been lifted, then surely that means 
it is no longer a temporary arrangement. Mm-hmm. You see, for me, there's different categories of homework are going to emerge here. There will be some who become perhaps permanent full-time workers, mm-hmm. uh, home workers. Some will combine home working with office working. So that's the, the classic hybrid model. And then others uh, may simply have a flexible approach uh, whereby they work in the office, but they are permitted and they occasionally work from home when it suits. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, it's very important that we understand these different categories, um, which category individuals uh, fall under, because this is really going to dictate what you as an employer have to do. Now, I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment, but I just want to be make it absolutely clear at this point an employer still has the same duty of care to protect home workers, mm-hmm. hybrid home workers, those working at home, as you do to the uh, traditional employee working in the office. Mm-hmm. But back to home working, so it throws up an entirely different suite of health and safety challenges to manage depending on what the work is that the individual mm-hmm. is performing and what equipment they need to do mm-hmm. to do it. and. Uh, but the, the key thing is that you are dealing here with a cohort of people who are unsupervised loan workers, mm. someone who is not in sight. They are working remotely. Actually, you could argue they may need more management support and time, not less. Mm. And it will be in, for employers to, to have regular and effective communications. But what do you need to do as an employer? Well, unsurprisingly, the answer will be provided in the home working risk assessment that you will carry out for each individual, mm-hmm. permanent or hybrid. You're doing a home working risk assessment, and this must capture all the foreseeable hazards and risks presented by the job they are doing mm-hmm. uh, and the environment in which they are doing it, uh, and also record how you're going to manage these risks. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know that if you ha- if you have anything else to add, but that was sort of my next question. How can firms conduct a home worker risk assessment? What type of factors do they need to be mindful of? If you have any comments on the HR and Review podcast, would like to suggest a topic or speaker, or provide other feedback, you can contact us using the email podcast at hrreview.co.uk. We look forward to hearing from you. Well, there are many things that you need to capture in the homework or risk assessment. But I suppose the immediate question is, have I got to visit everybody at their home? Mm-hmm. And I advocate a sensible and a pragmatic approach to this. And that is to construct a homeworker assessment or checklist, if you prefer, and ask each homeworker to complete it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be complicated, but it does need to be comprehensive. And you also need to train staff so that they understand the question or the statement they're being asked to respond to and what should be in place so that they can make an appropriate response as to whether it is good or not. Mm -hmm. And the key for me is that by taking this approach, employers can complete assessments very quickly. They can be quickly administered covering your entire population and then it will help you to identify any immediate concerns that that need further investigation. So this assessment, it may take the form of a positive statement. For example, um, I have an adjustable chair to work from or Mm -hmm. all cables and trailing wires are tidied away. 
And that way, you're on the lookout for any negative responses. They can be quickly identified and then acted upon. And of course, you want to make use of things like maybe forms on SharePoint or some other technology or uh, a spreadsheet, perhaps, that will allow you to collate answers quickly. Mm -hmm. But what are the kind of things that you should be mindful of? Well, make sure that the risk assessment considers all of the risks and hazards relating to the work activities and considers how they differ, differ in the home environment as opposed to a fixed environment. So statements uh, that concern common hazards such as slips, trips, falls, manual handling, uh, the ergonomics of your home station setup, electricity, electrical hazards, work equipment, what to do in the event of an emergency. I think many people, of course, will be working with DSE equipment. So statements pertaining to the, the work area, the work surface, chairs, adjustable monitors, mouse mats or the peripherals, footstools. Have you got enough space? Is your screen free from glare? Do you adopt that classic angular seated position that we are so familiar with when we when we look at these guidance on how to sit at a, a DSC screen? And you should perhaps also ask for some photographs uh, from the individuals that capture their work environment at home. And, and the assessment um, also needs to include statements on work equipment, uh, its potential to cause injury, and um, Electrical equipment, for example, confirmation that it is it's not damaged uh, in any way. It has there is evidence that it has been has been tested. Um, so just moving on to the second section, um, something which has been slightly sort of pushed to the side is health and safety statistics outside of COVID-19. Understandably, many companies have been extremely vigilantly focused on following health and safety rules linked to COVID-19. And as you mentioned, Nick, there seems to be a lot. Um, but many are failing to take heed of safety concerns outside of this, which is sort of another point that's been raised by the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. So, Nick, what, what do the latest health and safety statistics tell us? Why not subscribe to the premium version of HR in Review? You'll get ad-free content, early and extra episodes and more. Even better, although it's the premium edition, it's absolutely free. Sign up at hrreview.co.uk slash podcast. A few things drive home the importance of workplace health and safety like uh, HSC's annual statistics and <laughs> this provisional data that we've had back in July this year once mm -hmm. again tells us that there are far too many workers who continue to suffer injury and ill health as a result of incidents in the workplace. Um, for example, the, the data shows that a total of 142 workers were killed at work in Great Britain in the period 20 to 21. And that's broadly similar to uh, recent years, although alarmingly, it is a noticeable increase of 28% uh, on last year's total, which was 111. And, mm -hmm. and incidentally, um, these figures do not include deaths arising from COVID, which mm -hmm. is attributable to the workplace. Um, the data, unsurprisingly, it shows that uh, more workers died in certain sectors. So construction is at the top. Mm -hmm. But um, when you measure an incidence, a fatality incidence, you discover that sectors like agriculture, forestry and fishing are having a higher level of incidence per 100,000 workers. Mm -hmm. 
So it's a similar pattern in previous years, though. Uh, fatal injuries, the biggest cause is work from height, followed by struck by moving vehicle uh, and moving object. But interestingly as well, the overall the overwhelming majority of those killed in work, 97% of them are male. And um, there's also a disproportionate number of fatalities occurring to people aged over 60. Mm-hmm. So obviously this this data tells me, it tells everyone that there's a lot more uh, still to be done to ensure uh, all employees return home safe and well at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm, I'm afraid we don't just leave it there because there's something that doesn't quite stack up. Um, and that is that these figures that we have been provided are based on data for the period March 20 to March 21 which is actually the first complete year which we know has been impacted by COVID. Mm. And this is a period when there's been a lot of absence. People have been furloughed. Businesses have closed. Essentially, this has meant fewer people at work. So that being the case, logic would suggest that deaths would be lower, Mm -hmm. but they've actually gone up. So we've got to look at an alternative measure here to, to get to the truth of the matter. And that is a a fatality rate per 100 million hours worked, which the HSC have calculated for us. And they now actually acknowledge that if we standardize this year's figure Mm -hmm. against previous years, um, there has been a greater percentage increase in fatalities of the order of 40%. Now, I, I don't know why this is the case. Perhaps... Fewer people in work have been performing more duties that they're not familiar or trained or skilled to undertake. Maybe Mm -hmm. certain checks are not being performed as diligently as they were before or not being carried out at all. We can only speculate about the reasons that sit behind this increase. But, you know, it's a a somber reminder that um, uh, of the worst possible outcome that can occur in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Those, those statistics are very surprising, as you said, because so many people moved to in, in industries where it was possible to do so. So many people did move to home working. So it is quite worrying there to see that the proportion of, of you know, workers that have been involved in like fatal accidents um, has actually risen over the past year. Yeah. Um, well, we'll get the final report on the 16th of December this year when we get to see uh, the consolidated report and all the other Uh, data pertaining to other injuries and ill health. Mm -hmm. Finally, Nick, I had one last question, which was, what would you identify as other key concerns in the world of health and safety at work, either now or in the near future? Well, maybe we should turn to what the regulator has to say. So this is the health and safety executive and, of course, uh, local authorities. Um, They're a finite resource, but nevertheless, there will be certain things Uh, that they and therefore employers uh, need to continue to be on top of. And there will also be uh, initiatives and and campaigns which see the regulators taking a a closer interest in perhaps certain sectors or or topics. And these may be targeted for proactive inspections. So, for example, we know that this month in October, we start seeing a month-long health and safety executive campaign targeted at the construction sector. Mm-hmm. And HSC inspectors will be going out visiting construction sites across Great Britain, and they'll be focusing on respiratory risks uh, associated with exposure to dust. 
and it's all part of their strategy to improve uh, the health of construction workers. Um, but what else? Um, well, I would certainly say working at height and transport safely, of, uh, safety as we've already discovered, accounting for a large number of fatalities, that's always going to be high on the list. Mm -hmm. um, and certainly during my time as an inspector with the health and safety executive, uh, my experience of notifications of those type of incidents, whether they caused uh, injury or not, uh, they were often put out to further investigation. So I would definitely be mindful of those those two things. Mm -hmm. But as I said, there, there will also be a number of campaigns uh, relating to what are traditionally, and, and I would also argue, always going to be the most common cause of injury, uh, slips and trips, mm -hmm. manual handling, uh, occupational lung disease, managing stress, that's going to be a focus as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this is accounting for 51% of all work-related ill health reported. 55% of all work days lost are due to um, uh, stress or anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And there'll be others, asbestos, chemicals, fairgrounds, logistics, manufacturing, they're all going to receive their own particular attention it's not an exhaustive list but you know my advice to you is yeah be mindful of what the regulator are going to be looking at and reconcile any of those things with your particular risks um, but equally if it's not on there or you're not one of the sectors um, I would just ask yourself the simple question um, and that is what are the top three risks in your workplace that your employees or others are exposed to you'll know what they are Mm -hmm. Now, now go and make sure that you're all over them. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for um, joining me on the show and talking us through how employers can be aware of the health and safety in the workplace and um, to allow them to ensure that they're fulfilling their duty of care. It was really great to talk to you and um, to our audience. As I mentioned before, Nick can be reached at WorkNest. As always, to our audience, if you're interested in learning more about health and safety in the workplace, employee well-being, or any other topic linked to HR, head over to our website, hrreview.co.uk. We do have upcoming webinars on Insider HR, one this Thursday, the 7th of October, about the manager of the future and how to create a resilient organisation, and then one the week after on Thursday, the 14th of October, which is about the best practice for parental leave returners. Thanks once again to Nick for joining us and our audience for listening. We hope to see you next time where we will be continuing the discussion on the most relevant HR topics. See you then. The HR and Review podcast is brought to you by hrreview.co.uk. hrreview.co.uk is a website dedicated to human resources and related professionals. News items are posted daily together with analysis looking in-depth at topical HR issues. You can sign up for our range of specialist newsletters at hrreview.co.uk slash sign up and follow us on Twitter at HR Review or join us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Thank you for listening.